Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Chris Shores from Boston, Massachusetts. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So thank you, Chris, for introducing the Tennis Podcast, our second edition here from the Australian Open in Melbourne. And you can do the same. You haven't got much time left in order to do so. Uh, We have about 40 hours left as we come to you from Garden Square in Melbourne Park here uh, before our Kickstarter closes for another year. Uh, So if you want to support the show, we have reached our target. So, you know, we, we understand if you feel, well, job done, we'll maybe pitch in next year. But... If you want to be one of the many that and support uh, the show throughout the year, it, it won't go to waste. All of it will be going towards helping us to produce this show and just making it easier for us to do so. Uh, so thank you to everybody who has. Matt Roberts is here. I'm here, David Law. Uh, and you will notice once again that Catherine Whitaker is not. However. Good news. Good news is here, folks, because... Uh, she's been for her eye test and uh, she's been given the green light or at least that's what she's telling us she might have been told actually you probably shouldn't go but uh, as you think she's just coming anyway (laughs) she's coming anyway (laughs) Um, but anyway uh, we know for a fact uh, as things stand at the very least Catherine is due to board a flight tomorrow Sunday and will get here if all goes according to plan just when we start our Monday night first day's play edition of the daily tennis podcast so fingers crossed but great news we're chuffed um and uh, as you can imagine Catherine is too but it's been lovely the reaction everybody's given uh, out there all of you so many people have been getting in touch to, to wish her all the best and it's worked because all that positive energy, energy. Yes. has caused the uh, the the recovery partially at least of Catherine Whitaker. so long may that continue yes she broke the news via a video diary which is a, a new thing this year that she's hoping to do the first of which not in Melbourne but at Moresfield's Eye Hospital <laughs> I mean I'm not sure we'll ever be forgetting that that'll be something we look back on and think <laughs> did that did that happen <laughs> is that the new Putney Exchange maybe yeah. not Okay. Catherine did say it's been her second home in the last yes. last week. Yeah, not not been a great deal of fun for her. But no. anyway, thank thankfully it looks like she's coming uh, and she'll be with us for most of the fortnight. We are here today um, to talk about the day that we've just had. It's uh, it's what it's about five o'clock in the afternoon local time. Um, it 
in terms of the weather conditions, I'll just update you. It's been another pretty clear day, hasn't it? It's it's been quite warm throughout most of it, but we're under cloudy skies at the moment. White clouds, no, nothing nothing unpleasant. It's quite breezy, quite warm air but the air has generally been clear, but it has been a huge topic of conversation in the press conferences that Matt and I have attended today. And just to give you an idea of what this place is like on the Saturday before the Australian Open, it is effectively media day, that's what they call it. And they give us a sheet of paper, they send out an email at the start of the day listing all the players that are coming in and from a a period of about 11.30 in the morning right through to five o'clock in the afternoon, back to back, the biggest names in the world come into the interview room. I think there are maybe two recognisable ones that haven't been in today. Certainly one of those, Novak Djokovic, will be in tomorrow, which which is great for us because that gives us something else to talk about tomorrow and all the media. Uh, and Serena Williams was notable by her absence today as well. And also Ash Barty, oh, who yeah. is in tomorrow. Obviously, she's uh, still playing in in Adelaide yeah. so she, she's in in the interview room tomorrow but we have had today Roger Federer Rafael Nadal we've had Stefano Tsitsipas Dominic Team, Naomi Osaka Caroline Wozniacki and Matt and I have been giving ourselves cramp by just sitting in the third row of the interview room and not moving at all yes if we're allowed to have a good day without Catherine I think today was it yes. we, uh, we did enjoy the day just sitting Sitting in the third row, like naughty schoolboys, trying yeah. not to, uh, trying not to find it all too funny, and you know, we were kind of commenting after each each uh, press conference, giving our take on it, just between ourselves. And now, now we're going to share what yeah. we what we found out. I should say on the weather front that it had been expected to be a lot worse over this weekend. Simon Briggs was telling us yesterday that the reading was expected to go up above 200 which is the threshold for when it will become not playable and yet thankfully it's been it's been down in i think the 40s which is which is in the green zone a good a, you know it's it's considered fine um so the the bad air that was expected hasn't come but of course we just don't know when it is going to it is quite likely that it is going to come over the yeah. next two weeks hence why it's been such a talking point and I think that that's probably a good way way to start, really, because that is the prevailing talking point of the tournament. It is the big news story. And what what's interesting is we were given, and Simon described this yesterday, an indicator from the organisers here as to what happens when. And if you if if a reading comes in at such and such, and it's all graded and it's colour coded, then play will stop. Now. Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal both came into the press conference within 15, 20 minutes of one another today and were really quite open about the player meeting, the ATP player meeting last night that they both attended and the information that they were given about the air quality rating and the rules, etc. And they also, I suppose in kind of response to the criticism that they'd had from one of the players, I can't remember which player, it was was, a Canadian uh, player. It was Braden Schnur. Yeah who's one of the qualifiers, I think, uh, or played in the qualifying, and he, he said something along the lines of uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal should be stepping up more for the interests of players like us. Mm. Um, and did he use the word selfish? He did use the word selfish, because then he put out a statement the next day kind of saying that he thought that that word had been picked up on a bit too much and 
his wider point was that Federer and Nadal have this platform and they should be thinking of some of the lower-ranked players right. a bit more. Yeah, well, Federer came in and when he was asked about the situation, he said that the moment that all this started happening on Tuesday with the, the qualifying rounds, when the qualifying tournament began and... Uh, the player from Slovenia whose name I'm forgetting Dalila Jakupovic Jakupovic uh, when she suffered the way she did and some of the other players did as well and there was quite a lot of chat on social media from players complaining about the lack of information they were getting and the fact that they were being sent out and is it dangerous etc etc Federer said at that point I went into the organisers office uh, the tournament director's office and said what's happening what's the situation Um, and really your problem is communication we don't know what's happening as players we don't know whether it's when it's safe when it's not safe what the guidelines are you need to communicate better and he was quite quite clear on that subject wasn't he I I was I really struck by how he wanted to get that over Mm. and then Rafa Nadal said virtually the same thing that he'd also been in the tournament operations office asking that same question and I think I think the position now is clearer because they have released this, these, these parameters of when they will play and when they won't play. I think the problem, the problem that Federer and Nadal were saying is that they didn't release that in time for the qualifiers, yeah. so no one really knew nor where we the, stood with all this. Nor for the ATP Cup. Exactly. So we had, we've had 10 days, 12 days of players just kind of being told, yeah, it's safe okay, why is it safe? Well, just because we've we've consulted people without being able to give any definitives. And the players, Federer said the players had been told by staff at the player meeting that at the Olympics, there is a a cut-off point of 300, the air quality index of 300. And if it goes above that at the Olympics, that's when they stop. Whereas here at the Australian Open it's at 200 so they were saying well you know if we're between 2 and 300 as a sort of buffer zone then we should be pretty content that anything below 200 we are safe to play Um, and and he was both of them were quite forceful about that and there was a great moment where after you Matt had listened to the rest of the Nadal press comments which was in Spanish which I couldn't understand but Matt was there sort of smiling knowingly at the end of it Matt you said to me it's almost as if Federer and Nadal have met beforehand and decided what their story is here yeah if if they were suspects in a in some kind of trial and they both came out with those stories I, I would be a little suspicious that they were kind of I don't know corroborated on them to get their you know to get their side of the story so similar but I'm sure that they'd just experienced the same meeting and had had the same discussions with the same people. So they were both talking about the fact that the threshold here was 200 versus 300 at the Olympics. They were both talking about the fact that the communication needed to be better. And they both made the point, Federer in English and Nadal in Spanish, that yes, the smoke was a problem on Tuesday and Wednesday, but can we be completely 100% sure that the retirements and the struggles that the players were feeling were smoke related and not also heat related because every year we do see retirements and heat problems at the Australian Open and this year obviously the smoke is the big talking point but 
that doesn't mean that the heat problem has gone away. That, that is still going to be a factor in the next two weeks. So if we do see some retirements and the smoke index is less than 200, maybe the point that Nadal and Federer were making is that we shouldn't automatically jump to the conclusion that it is the smoke because there are other factors that create difficult environments and conditions for the players. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a, a point well made, actually. I actually also spoke separately to Dan Evans and asked him whether he felt any effects of what he's experienced over he's been here throughout the whole of the ATP Cup and he's practiced here has has he experienced any issue with with the the conditions himself on a personal level and he said he I really don't feel I have I don't feel like I've been affected at all uh, I know other players feel differently and and different players will experience different conditions differently I think that's exactly it isn't it while you were in the Dan Evans press conference I was in the Stefano Sitsipas one and he had said that he had some breathing difficulties some lung problems earlier on in the week when he was practicing because he felt that the smoke was was adversely affecting him so I think some players are just going to react in different in different ways they're going to be more sensitive to it I also do feel that there is the potential and I'm not accusing anybody of anything here but I do feel that there is the potential for a kind of panic to be setting in and, uh, and players to be almost expecting to feel a certain way because they're hearing about mm. how the conditions are not great um, and therefore it can be more pronounced when they do f- feel anything. Yeah. Um, I do. That's just human nature. Psychosomatic in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, the, over the next, I, I just think it's really important that they that they've got in there now, and, and they could have saved themselves a lot of headaches over the last ten days mm. if they'd had this two hundred kids cutoff point beforehand. Look, it's easy for me to say I'm not in charge, and I'm not saying I'd have done all those same things. But in hindsight, and they didn't have that hindsight. I understand that, but we now know and. Federer and Nadal clearly were straight in there making that point and it shows I think kind of the influence that they that they have if that's what they did and I know it's not just down to them but and there were some adverse headlines that probably played a part too. And it was interesting how irritated Federer was in his press conference by the by the continued questioning there was maybe one or two certainly at least two questions on this issue of of the smoke and in particular the kind of angle that maybe he wasn't doing enough to help the other players um, so he was obviously very quick to to give his story of going into the tournament director's office and he did say I, I mean really what more do you expect me to do exactly yeah it's not like I can go on the court and call it all off I don't have that sort of influence um, so yeah he's he's used his power in the way he thought he could um but it is interesting how annoyed Federer does get by that angle of questioning you know image is very important to him and um and I can do, understand I, that. well I can understand it from a perspective also of a feeling of integrity from him himself as well he doesn't want that questioned yeah uh, I think he feels well hold on I've been around for a long time now doing my bit I don't think you can really call that into question but it was by his standards a bit of a chippy press conference yeah. I mean he still gave some great answers he's 
it, it's a it's a circus a Roger Federer press conference particularly here I think at the Australian Open I and mean, we we sat in all of them and suddenly we couldn't move yeah I for, said for people. I said guess who's next yeah because the room was packed you looked around you and at the back it was just everybody everybody was standing as well there was not room to move at all um, and they couldn't get through many questions at all because the other thing is Federer gives quite long detailed answers and they did draw that press conference to a close quite abruptly mm. uh, at which point <laughs> we not and bear in mind this this was Roger Federer's first press conference publicly of the year so there were there was a lot to get him on there was a lot to ask him about a lot has happened and he is one of the people that you really want to go to in this scenario and he he said at the end of the press conference oh by the way I'm playing Steve Johnson um, if uh, I, if I, anyone cares if anyone cares I thought that's maybe why I was here to yeah. talk about that as though it was kind of our fault for not asking him about Steve Johnson his first round opponent which okay I take your point but these are pressing subjects which we need your view on and the the press conference was called to a, a halt so swiftly after those subjects had been covered there wasn't time for anything else mm. as it happens they they ended up allowing one uh, extra question about it and he gave a i found a really interesting answer on a couple of levels one in as much as the way he talked about Steve Johnson, he he knows everything about him. <laughs> you know, you've got the feeling he knows his shoe size. He's so well prepared. But he also, it showed how he leaves no stone unturned. There is no, there's no danger of taking him too lightly. And that's really interesting because he used the phrase, Steve Johnson's match ready and I'm not. And yet for Federer, that doesn't feel like such a huge risk because he's got I mean it is a bit of a risk but he's got so much experience and so much confidence that I think he knows that he can come out and play a good a good match a good enough match to beat Steve Johnson in the first round he's he talks about having these low expectations I know that's thing he, he actually said that my expectations are low yeah and, and which, honestly we I, it was all I could do not to sneak yeah I almost laughed out loud I mean low expectations for a 20 time Grand Slam champion that, that just isn't a thing I was here in 2017 when he gave a very similar yeah absolutely press yeah and I think and I think there is a there is a definite sense that Federer seemed quite liberated in 2017. He didn't. He perhaps he wasn't putting that pressure on himself, but of course he did have expectations that he would do well. And I think if he can come out and play free tennis, that is going to be when he's at his most dangerous. Yeah. Um, but obviously he needs to just work his way into the tournament. One of the things I noticed with Nadal is he. Incidentally, he was given the International Tennis Writers Association Ambassador Award for the year for his cooperation with the media. And he has had a particularly good year with the media. I think he's given some great lines. You, you talked about it in our end-of-year show. But he wasn't exactly hiding the fact that his physical state is not exactly ideal just at the moment. I mean, you know, he was asked, how, how are you doing? And he, he said, well... Hopefully, 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 well enough. Mm. But I didn't get the feeling that he was that bullish about it all. No, agreed. I mean, his last tournament ended with him saying, "I don't quite have the energy for this, and I've got maybe one or two little niggles." Um, yeah, I think I think Nadal's fitness, as so often with Nadal, is is his biggest concern at this tournament because 
I do think he's, he's tennis. He's playing pretty well. Certainly the back end of last year, ATP Cup, he was a little, little shaky in a couple of matches. But really, it's all about his physical conditioning, as it so often is. Uh, d- by the way, I was disappointed. He received a trophy for his, um, for that international writers award, and he didn't bite it. I know. Which you know that that's his thing. Um, is our award not good enough for you? Yeah, Rafa, literally. Like, come on. <laughs> That's the photo we want, Rafa. Maybe I could bring in my predictions trophy <laughs> oh. and you can bite that. Which one? Well, they're quiet. <laughs> um, so Did you really pack them? Or was that for social media purposes? Briefly for a photo shoot. <laughs> but anyway. Nothing's real, folks. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been polluted by my brain with, uh, with all this social media content hashtag. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And uh, I... I I'm not that convinced at the moment, at least, about Nadal. And I realise that that can be clipped and played in our final episode when he's reached the final and won the whole thing. It does feel like we were having this conversation last year. I think if we went back to our Australian Open show last year, we probably said exactly the same thing about Nadal, that it was his physical conditioning, which is the major factor in all this. And I think he surprised us last year by how ruthless he was getting to the final yeah. um, but I, I don't quite see him doing that this year mm. I, think, I think the ATP Cup and the Davis Cup last year have taken more out of him than he would, than he would have liked we spoke to we had a couple of players into the press conference room that could form his fourth round and quarter final opponents respectively Nick Kyrgios came in he was the last one in that we were in uh, with and then after that Dominic team in the quarterfinal stages, he 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 also came in. It, it also also interesting for different reasons. I, I think, I mean, Kyrgios is continually talking about how he's playing for something bigger than than himself here at the Australian Open. He, if you if you're not sure what he means by that, he means the the, the effects of the Australian bushfires here. It's it's affected him so deeply, um, and he's been the the starting point for so many of the initiatives that we've seen raising money for for that cause which is which is great i just feel like you do get a bit of an insight into the type of character he is when you sit in a press conference like that with him he just isn't made like most players he's not that bothered no really he's, he kind of sits at a bit of an angle away yeah. from the media who are asking the questions he he occasionally engages you looks you in the eye but there's not a lot of really positive body language coming from him and yet he's so him. quick he's so sharp the, 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 the analysis the wit the, the taking on board your question and if he doesn't think much of it he cuts you down in an instant and makes you look and he was quite rude at one point uh, with, with one woman who who asked him in what way are you playing for more than yourself and he was like really you don't you can't work it out which was, you which know, was which was rude a bit unnecessary uh, now I'm sure Catherine would say well I don't agree he does care and, and, and it's not that I don't think he cares but I think he's very quick to go from caring to putting it in a perspective that maybe other players wouldn't of you know it's only, it's only tennis I mean who cares mm. and, and he, he has really been harping on about that uh, over the course of this week but I got the sense that he feels that this whole process although he hates the effect it's having on people's lives might end up 
making him play better. Yeah, I think he does think that. I mean, he he didn't quite say that I play better when I am playing for something bigger than myself, but that's what I took from what he said about And almost that. just something other than myself. Yes. Doesn't even... Give him a give inventor cause, yeah. you know, and I know that he's not doing that with this. I mean, he he was at pains to also say, "Look, I'm I, I'm not a I don't care about praise and all that sort of thing. I, yeah. I genuinely care about this." And well, of course, you, I mean, you should care. It's, it's, but at the same time, it's 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 quite heartwarming the the degree to which it's affecting him. Um, it's going to be really interesting because he's supposed to play Hatchinov, isn't he, round three? We were just talking with Simon Briggs as we, we passed him in the corridor about whether we feel that match will happen, him against Nadal, in round four, given that Hatchinov could be in the way. And we were racking our brains to try and think of whether Kyrgios had played Hatchinov, and of course they have once, and it was the infamous match which sparked... Kyrgios's probation period it was mm. it was the one where he verbally abused umpire Fergus Murphy yeah. and crossed the line to be honest it was well, that's unacceptable the, that's the one where Kyrgios lost me for a period of time I must say when I when I, if I saw that back I would really struggle mm. to was, to put that behind me it was in Cincinnati just just a few months ago and so I mean a lot of people have obviously been talking about the Kyrgios Nadal match looming in the fourth round but there's a there's a match in the third round potentially with a, lot, a big backstory to it as well. Yeah. I, I, incidentally, there was a uh, he was asked about what Zverev had said as well in the press conference, and Matt and I were looking at each other as if to say, "Well, what Zverev said? What has Zverev said?" I, I can't now? remember. Uh, and we've looked it up, and it appears to be an interview from a week or so ago, where which has only just been put out, where Zverev has has said, "Well." quite honestly there are better players than Nick Kyrgios around he, you know and he named Stitsapas as one he named Alex Dimonor as another who yeah. obviously can't play he that. really emphasised younger players who are better than Kyrgios now and as as, as someone wrote in the uh, comments on Twitter well there are also some younger players who are better than you Zverev um, <laughs> no offence no offence yeah <laughs> you know. um, but look in you, you have to say in terms of the facts of, the, of it all well Zverev's probably right I mean yeah. it, it, his reasoning was over the best of five sets this isn't just a question of go and win in an hour and 20 minutes you've got to win over the distance and and Kyrgios has so far proven himself unable to do that on a consecutive basis hence why he hasn't reached a quarter final in years of a slam uh, but he didn't really bite did he Kyrgios no. he he said, I'm not going to bite at all. Then he had a little nibble, a little nibble and then uh, <laughs> sensibly moved on. Yeah. So then we had Dominic Team come in, or shortly before Dominic Team came in, and he was talking about uh, the conditions and what else. He, he, he gave quite an interesting answer about how he starts seasons slowly. Mm. After an off-season, he finds it hard to get his rhythm and routine and hence why we're perhaps seeing the result and hence why he plays so much that's the gist I got from it yeah well you asked him why is he playing all those tournaments in the summer um, we're talking about Kitchball, Hamburg and Gestad which he's committed to playing already all on um, clay in bet- I said to him in between Wimbledon and the US Open I got the sense he didn't particularly like that that no. I drew my attention to him in that way but I 
because he gave one answer at the end when he was ex- describing why he's playing Stard. He says, and by the way, <laughs> Stard is a freaking great tournament <laughs> if you've never been there. Well, actually, uh, I have been there about 10 times, Dominic, and, and I agree with you. It's a wonderful tournament. I just question how relevant it is to a top player trying to win the US Open. And he seemed to suggest that last year when he when he played Kitchbull and then had a week off, that that adversely affected him going into uh, Montreal and the US hardcourt swing. So therefore, he's he's added in an extra week of tennis because he thinks because he thinks that will help him. Which you know it might, but I just can't. I can't escape the fact that he's not playing the Olympics and he's choosing to play those three tournaments yeah. instead. I just think... I wish I'd pushed that issue, actually. Right. I just think, you know, Kitchball is going to happen every year. That's not going anywhere but on he, the calendar. But he means the world to it him. Does. I do have it respect does. for that. And, and I also remember how Catherine described his appearance in Toronto last year coming off the back of that and what a state he was in mm. um, and I suppose so. it's I suppose it's positive that he is looking for solutions to that problem he's not just going to do the same thing again now yeah. our solution in in our mind is probably different to the one that he's come up with but you know I'm sure he knows <laughs> he knows better than us so he's doing what he's doing and we will come back later on in the year and see how see how that all works yeah. out but he, he does look like he's been on a lad's holiday, doesn't he? Team with his with his uh, <laughs> with his blonde highlights and his sort of unshaven look at the he's moment. Been drafted into a boy band. Yeah, the way. It's, um, <laughs> it's quite a look. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Um, 
We started the press conference today with Daniel Medvedev at about 12 o'clock, about five hours ago. And we we both asked him quite a few questions uh, before I figured out that I'm supposed to put my hand up before I ask questions, and I got a royal <laughs> telling off. <laughs> you, got, you got admonished. Yeah, I did, we, did, we had three press conferences where I was asking like loads of questions, and I didn't realise there were loads of other journalists giving me daggers because apparently I was taking their place every time. You meant Sorry, to put your colleagues. hand up, David. Yes. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I got I got a lovely chat with uh, Daniel Medvedev, Caroline Wozniacki, and Naomi Osaka before. I got reined in but uh, Medvedev I felt we both came out of that going what a what an impressive guy he is what a nice bloke he sounds for a start he's really he really engages you doesn't he first of all he came in he said hello how you doing you know and he was really nice to everybody and in terms of just the way he he answers questions he just looks you in the eye and takes takes in what you're asking him and gives whatever answer he feels I'm trying to think if there is a player on the tour on either tours at the moment who there's a bigger contrast between their on-court personality and their press room personality because Mm. you know it's it's not it's just over a week ago maybe less time's a bit a bit weird at the moment but it was yeah about a week ago at the ATP Cup where he was you know, slamming his racket on the on the umpire's chair and getting in a war of words with nicest man in the world, Diego Schwartzman. <laughs> and then he comes into the press conference and he couldn't be more charming. No. It is just an extraordinary um, contrast. But I thought it was really interesting. Someone, <coughs> a journalist, asked him whether he was worried at all that last year that he'd peaked... He kind of said, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, actually, I have been worried about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, which, which kind of went back to our discussions about, you know, whether whether it was a hot streak that well, he was on last summer. Yeah, I mean, I think our discussion with Catherine and her brother was... Catherine was, has been absolutely bowled over by Daniel Medvedev mm. over the last three or four months, as you know. And not only am hugely impressed with his tennis, but just loves everything about his his completely aggro personality. And and I just sort of threw it out there that this might just be a hot streak. Mm. This might be he he might never do this again. And uh, and the corporate side of the business might advise him that it's not that good an idea to fall out with everybody and we'll just be left with the memories and the uh, metronomic winning of titles <laughs> and maybe not even the metronomic winning of titles if it's just a hot streak mm. and he kind of made you feel that he's also worried about that because he he doesn't know whether that two or three month spell around the summer of last year is his baseline level and normality or whether that was uh, the aberration mm. I mean it was the it was the fact that he did it in what was it was it six consecutive finals he reached that that to me took it beyond hot streak i kind of thought it felt it felt like he'd cracked something it felt like he was here he'd arrived and you know i th- i kind of think a hot streak's maybe one or two weeks but he was beating everyone apart from nadal and we just hadn't seen that before from anyone um but then I asked him today whether he felt like he had recovered from the... I, th- I think the words I used was loss of momentum that he felt at the end of last season because I think that's what he'd said at the ATP finals. And he he used the word burnout, that he had completely yeah. burned himself out last season and just couldn't 
couldn't play the Davis Cup at the end of the year, couldn't give his best at the HP Finals, and yet now, just he does feel like he's been invigorated again, yeah. and he's got his energy back, and he's got his got his sort of swagger back. A little I, bit. I found his demeanour very convincing mm, in that I press did. conference. Yeah, and and to me, the the fact that he was prepared to engage the idea publicly that he also was concerned that this might have have just been a bit of a one-off made me feel like no it's not mm. you know he, he knew he knows himself he's a really intelligent guy Daniel Medvedev is, is my sense and he knows that he's he, he's got the game to contend he also gives you this feeling that he doesn't have any sort of imposter syndrome with those other top players mm. now yeah absolutely I think being around them at the ATP finals was probably quite important for him um he did. He did say that he would be satisfied with quarterfinals. Yeah, well, he was. He was asked, "What he, would you be satisfied yeah. with?" And he, he ummed and ahed, and he said, "You know, well, winning the tournament." And yeah. he said, "But I mean, I suppose <laughs> if I got to the quarterfinals, but I got the sense that no, you wouldn't." Yeah, I kind of thought if other players had been saying that, uh, my alarm bells would have been ringing. But with him, they, they didn't really. No, um, he was just being polite enough. Yeah, um, to answer the question. To answer the question, but yeah. he has lofty hopes of himself here. He also said that the uh, the day after, I asked him whether his life has changed since winning, since reaching that U.S. Open final, uh, in terms of getting recognised. And he said the day after in New York, he said I had to wear, I, I wore a hoodie, and I, he said I looked in the mirror and I was wearing so much stuff that I didn't even recognise myself, <laughs> and yet people were still <laughs> recognising me. And I was like, how are they doing this? <laughs> well. It, he was he was doing his own impact on the people of New York at this service. He was ingrained in everyone's mind during that U.S. <laughs> Open, the way he behaved towards them. Yeah. So that was Daniel Medvedev. Uh, he was followed into the interview room by Caroline Wozniacki, who is going to retire after the Australian Open here and she was dressed up to the nines she looked like she was about to go out and go to a gala dinner or something because uh, she'd got her very very expensive looking jewelry uh, and uh, and manicure blue fingernails all the rest of it um, and just looked so sort of happy to to have made the decision she's made you, you get the feeling that that is not something that has been made off the cuff she has thought that through and calculated how do I want to finish my career it feels right now I'm ready. Oh, completely. She is so at peace with her decision. It just feels like the right time. It feels like, you know, to be to be brunt and truthful about it, she was she was not becoming a better tennis player in the last year, eighteen months. She she'd already achieved everything and more than than she'd ever set out to achieve um, you know we were talking about her as she is a bit of a contrast in a way because she does come into a to an interview room and, and there is this kind of sense of self-importance about her a little bit and, and she is all done up you know completely and yet on the court she is the one of the fiercest competitors we've seen over the last decade and has squeezed absolutely everything out of out of herself and those two personality traits don't necessarily always marry up with one another but with her they're both a big part of what makes her her yeah i mean she is 
on the court, she is tough as old boots. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you throw at her, she will keep coming back for more. And she might get off hit off the court. She was quite interested in talking about Kim Kleisters. There was one of our Belgian colleagues who was asking literally every <laughs> single tennis player who came in about the return of Kim Kleisters and, and how it might go. I absolutely love the way he framed his question every time. He had a little angle specific to each yeah. each player. Um, and then and he thought, hang on a minute, this is the Kim Kleisters question. You're in your late 30s. You're in your late 30s. Yeah. Somebody else who's in their late 30s is about you to come back. You admired Kim Kleisters when you were growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but she, and she was actually... Oh, she was pretty blunt in her assessment, Wozniacki, that Kleisters is going to find it really hard. Yeah. And, and the reason is the game has moved on. Everybody's stronger, fitter, taller, hits the ball harder. And, you know, she's had injuries and, and I'm not sure the body's going to stand that. And she wasn't trying to be rude or negative. She was being honest. But it's Kids Day today, folks, which is why you're hearing a little lad uh, who's playing uh, with a ball with his mate in the fountain and shouting and getting yeah, really excited. If, if, if there's one thing Catherine is kind of pleased to have missed, it's Kids Day. <laughs> which has been fantastic. I must say, I, walking in, I was completely wowed by it. I mean, the just the sheer number of activities they have going on there's a there's zip wires there's a there's a blooming water park over <laughs> over by the entrance i mean it, it really is amazing um, uh, but just getting back to wozniacki uh, i said to you as well that the one thing that really occurred to me is that she's seen her in a press conference which is where a lot of my memories come from of caroline wozniacki is what a magnificently bad loser she is <laughs> And the, the number of times I've seen her lose a match and just say something really snarky and slightly rude about the player that's just beaten her or, or about some decision the organisers have taken or how it's not fair. And <laughs> I remember, I think, I think she lost to Makarova, I think it was, at yeah. Wimbledon last year, maybe a couple of years ago, 2018, I think it was. And she was asked whether she thinks Makarova will go far in the tournament. She said, no, not really. <laughs> I don't think she played very well. I, think I, yeah. I, think, I just don't think I play very well. Yeah. But, you know, just love that. Because most, most players would trot out, oh, yeah, they played really well and they're going to go far in this tournament. You know, better player won on the day, but... She wasn't having any of it. And I don't mind no, that. No, I don't mind that at I all. I mean, for a start, as a journalist, it's just so much fun to listen to these slightly blunt, whingy answers where she's just not holding any anything back um, through politeness. Yeah. Um, and, and look, as you say, she has wrung out every drop out of her career. And I, I think she should be... Well, look, she is very proud of herself. You can see oh, yeah. she's absolutely glowing about how good she's... how, how well she's done. And fair enough. Yeah, she really. should be. I, I think if you look purely at her game, you wouldn't say that that is a Grand Slam champion, what, two other Grand Slam finals and a world number one for, I think, something like 70 weeks, yeah, something well, like that. She and first became world number one in 2009, yeah. 10 years ago. She won her first Grand Slam title two years ago, mm. which... I think I find pretty astounding, given the way, as she described about Kleister's, the game has moved on, and her game doesn't really match up power-wise. There was that period where she was world number one and she was winning matches without hitting a single winner. Do you remember there were, mm. there were those stats going around? And she managed to inject a little bit into her game to enable her to have some teeth. Yeah, and I think a lot of people spun that really negatively. It was kind of like, well, how can you be number one you know without the weapons without that game 
But actually, really, it was a it was a tremendous um, just it was a tremendous um, validation of everything she was doing on a tennis court that she was maximizing herself to be world number one. It'd, it'd yeah. be like it'd be like David Ferrer being number one. Yeah, which you kind of would think well. That wouldn't happen, but Wozniacki was, and you know, it, it was amazing. And I was looking up. Do you know where she is on the all-time money list in the in the in the uh, on the in women's tennis? No. Fourth. Blimey. She, she she's behind the Williams sisters and Maria Sharapova. Head of Azarenka. Yeah. So it's likely that someone like Halep might overtake her maybe this year. It's pretty close. But yeah, she's fourth on the all-time money list. Caroline Wozniacki. I mean, I know that's obviously there's been a lot of inflated prize money and you know she's she's been kind of fortunate to to be playing in in this era with increased prize money but still i mean that is a remarkable kind of body of work she's put together yeah it is she was followed into the interview room and and pretty much finally really uh, naomi osaka who's kind of the other end of the the spectrum in terms of career she's obviously won two grand slam titles she comes in as the defending champion and in the sort of 10 to 15 minutes she was in the interview room, I went through so many different emotions and <laughs> feelings. And I really didn't know... I didn't come in with any preconceptions. I'd kind of forgotten what a Naomi Osaka press conference could be like. Partly because over the last year, I've felt she has not looked that happy in some of the press conferences she's attended and not really been the person that I kind of remember. This was a, a return to what I remember. And yet there was, there was a load of candor about what she's been through over the past 12 months and to describe the emotions that I went through to use Simon's words of yesterday there was moments where I feel incredibly awkward and uncomfortable and there are silences which (laughs) she just sort of leaves hanging and you're thinking you're like oh my goodness I feel I'm cringing here Um, but yet she's utterly delightful and charming and quirky and funny and, and engaging in other ways Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think she said that last year was the most difficult year of her life. And you really did feel that in a lot of her press conferences. As you said, there was there was a sadness that came over her. And I think also she she found it difficult to accept the fact that she maybe thought she was backing up her Australian Open and US Open win by doing pretty well really um you know she did have her best ever clay court swing and you know a lot of the time all that she heard was that she wasn't doing well yeah um, crashed out and all exactly that sort of and you know she said that she, i think she said to you today that she she, she now tries to ignore some of the articles yeah. a little bit more well, this, written about this it. was the press conference where i still didn't know i was supposed to put up my hand <laughs> and they, virtually every answer she gave i gave a little follow-up just trying to get getting her to expand apparently i shouldn't have been doing that <laughs> but anyway it ended up being quite a good press conference as a result was, i yeah. felt um and at one point she said um i don't really have a rivalry i haven't been around long enough for that and i kind of feel a rivalry would be a blessing and I wanted to know what, what you mean by blessing. And she said, well, it's just really cool, isn't it? If you can be a Nadal fan or a, uh, in the rivalry or something, you, know, you get two people who are playing each other quite a lot and, and they're, they're always tough matches. And, and then and I was really grateful to one of, one of our colleagues who, who then said, well, who would you like to have as a rival? 
And and that question just hung in the air for what seemed like forever it as was, she just sat there in silence mulling this over. It was agonising because there was there was a name that I think I was thinking, I think other people were thinking it, you were clearly thinking it because after about I mean it could have been it could have been 30 seconds of pretty much silence or oh I don't know well, she asked what do us you then, think didn't she? yeah what do you she, think she said well you know I kind of feel like this should be an audience thing <laughs> so what do you lot think and then there was a silence and then you just came out with well what about Bianca Andreescu mm. wouldn't she be a good rival for you she cuz she said Osaka said I I kind of feel like rivals should be total opposites yeah What's the opposite of me? <laughs> um, to me, well, Andreescu is the opposite yeah. of you. Yeah, she's full of full of the 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 joy. She doesn't question anything. It feels like, and uh, and she's got this game full of variety and cat and mouse as well as the power. Um, and she said, "Yeah, I think that would be quite good." <laughs> <laughs> Although she did say that she found the match she played against Andreescu really tough and she's not kind of looking forward to the next one but I think the point about having a rival for why Osaka as well might think it's it's a good thing to have is if you have a rival you are at the top of the game you know we don't talk about rivalries between players who are you know outside the top 10 really I mean a little bit depending on the kind of matches that they have but the rivalries you talk about are the ones that sustain the sport in a way and draw our attention get us all talking and I think she realises the power of that and she wants she wants part of it and yeah. I, I think that's I like the fact that she's talking like that yeah um, and I think I think also a rivalry would give a good yardstick for where she is something to it's a bit like having a target at the net isn't it mm. you, you've got a corridor to go down and you can just concentrate on that I, I think she likes to keep it relatively simple because I think she's a She's probably automatically a pretty macro person. She's sitting there thinking about the wider sphere and she's not that good at the tunnel vision bit mm. of just winning the next point. And, and she actually gave a really good insight into what it has been like coming back as the defending champ. And she said, I feel like maybe I'm not as fearless as I was. I, I'm aware of the consequences of, of shots. I know what it feels like now to have to fight really really hard for a long period of time to win these matches and and I know how much that's going to hurt sometimes so I'm more aware and therefore less fearless I always think she's so reflective I always think that every experience she has she tries to take something from it and learn from it now she might not she might not be able to do it better next time but she has at least got the knowledge of what of what in theory she thinks she needs to do she she used an analogy in the Japanese portion of her press conference. Not that I speak Japanese, but she, she gets the questions in Japanese and answers in English. So it's always worth staying for that portion. And she said, it's like, it's like, it's like going on a hike. And um, last year she was kind of going on the hike without knowing the route. And she just did it. Now she's got to do the same hike again. And she knows the route. She knows the ups and downs. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be any easier, but she's got more knowledge now. Yeah. And maybe she'll be able to tread, tread her path The first better. round is massively important in her mind, isn't yeah. it? Because she's really worried about these 2,000 points she's got to defend. <laughs> she's really worried about the fact that she's going to go outside the world's top 10 if she doesn't win the first round. And there was another interesting insight there, I thought, 
the way kind of quite bullishly for Asar because she said I know that if I play my best I'm, I'm not going to lose that match and when she came out with that I thought well yeah but I can't remember who she's playing um, no I can't not to worry Buzkova okay. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow um, tomorrow's draw show so you know so often she will give her opponents a lot of respect a lot of credit and I'm not saying that she isn't but to come out with a statement like that was was not something I'd heard from her before. Yeah. I don't think. I, I think she looks another one to me that's in a pretty good place. I think she can have a good tournament here. I think so. She seems very settled with Wimfasset, her new coach. Um, so it's going to be fascinating. It really, is that the only other press conference I went to and mentioned briefly was Dan Evans. There was a very funny line come out <laughs> about. You may have been reading about how Tim Henman said he could. He could probably miss a few meals, which, <laughs> which I've heard Henman say about people before. Uh, and uh, a, a little jibe at how Dan Evans maybe could lose a bit of weight. Um, and, uh, and Evans was ready for this. He, he's, he clearly had an absolute ball on, in the ATP Cup team. He really he was at pains to stress how much he'd enjoyed Henman's company. And he, sa- he said, to be honest, I wasn't very surprised. Tim doesn't give many compliments. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it sounds as though they've had a lot of fun on the sort of group chat between them all and everybody's been given Evans stick. And he said, look, fact is, I've got a different body type to these rakes like Enman, Salisbury <laughs> and Murray. He said, you know, he said, to be honest, I, I'm not that bad. He said, I, I don't mind a fizzy drink. I don't mind a bit of alcohol. But, you know, generally, <laughs> I, I, and he, he actually said he, he'd done the vegan, he'd gone vegan for a while after the US Open until the end really? of the year and then he just gave up <laughs> um, he said I did a, I think I did a, a, a test of my you know what's in my body and it and it was clear that I probably needed to to, to have some meat again <laughs> so I did <laughs> I gonna say I can believe the giving up part yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know yeah, I, th- I get another one that I just sense is is really bullish about what's to come. He's certainly going to play his own game, but he also did reference a little bit of the Osakas again about how it's slightly different now because he said when I was in, was it Adelaide last week? He said I was playing matches that I felt like I'm supposed to win. You know? okay. and, and, and I got this sense of what, well, what's it going to be like if I don't win this one because on rankings I'm supposed to right. so it's a different mentality mm. but generally I think he, he seems really positive and British number one and, and really is probably given that Conta doesn't appear fully fit maybe the one who's expected to do the best here from British perspective yeah I would, I would agree with that I think Carl Edmund depends if he gets on a roll doesn't it yeah. Edmund probably has a higher ceiling agreed um, but who knows how well he's going to play. Mm. Anything else? Well, just while you were in the Evans, I went to Sitsipas, which I touched on. Um, he wasn't... He wasn't kind of giving those answers where he just allows his mind to wander and go places where no one knows where it's going to go. Is that good or bad? Well, I was disappointed. <laughs> I know you were disappointed, but do you think it's good or bad for him? That's an unknown. I don't... I don't think it makes that much difference, really. Um, he wasn't... I mean, comparing him to a year ago, I think we've, I think it was clear how, <laughs> how much he's grown into his role now at the top of the game. Last year, he was completely starry-eyed about the whole Melbourne experience. He used the phrase today that he was living the dream. And it felt like that every time you went to 
a press conference or watch one of one of his matches it kind of all felt a bit unbelievable, the kind of level of support he was having and what he was producing tennis-wise. Now, I think everyone's expecting him to do that again, himself included. Um, So that was a slight shift, I think. Um, He he mentioned about how he'd had... um, how he'd had the the, the tantrum, was the word he used, at, at the ATP Cup and how he was embarrassed about it because because um, he says talking like some kind of Jedi out of Star Wars that he's found some balance within himself um, and that was the kind of moment of moment of madness so again he's another one like Osaka who I think is really reflective and takes takes things from takes things good or bad from stuff they've done and tries to tries to improve on it um so yeah, I, th- I think he's in a good place, but he wasn't—he wasn't kind of mystic about the whole thing, like he like he so often is. How disappointing! <laughs> Let's hope the mystical side of yeah. Stefan Sitsipas is back before we know it, uh, and we will be back before you know it, uh, because we're going to be here every single day of the Australian Open with editions of the Tennis Podcast, kickstarted by your very good selves. There is less than two days to go now and a handful of hours if uh, you haven't backed us and you would like to do so you'll get your name on our backers page on the website if you want to chip in 100 quid you'll get a shout out which is what Pete McMarris Eleanor Hawkins and Michelle Kihu I believe it is correctly pronounced uh, and if it's not do let me know Michelle have all done so thank all of you, you. Uh, Pete, Eleanor and Michelle for backing the tennis podcast uh, because that's how we've been able to fly Matt over to Melbourne and put him up for the next couple of weeks it's how Catherine is hopefully going to arrive in a couple of days time that, you know, this is where the money's going and, uh, and, and we're, we're hugely grateful and, and appreciative of the fact that so many people have, uh, have supported us and, and that this show means enough to you to 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 frankly put your money where your mouth is it's it's fantastic and 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 we can't thank you enough so just a, about what 35 hours as i come to you right now in garden square on saturday evening uh, to go in our kickstarter if you scan down on your show notes you'll be able to to click the link and back us you can also whilst there you can sign up for our newsletter which is going to be going out every day over the course of the tournament it'll include matt's stat and it'll include daily predictions where matt catherine and myself take on melanie bows our uh, 20 17 champion uh, in the year-long prediction she is going to take us on in the dailies you ready matt slightly concerned that we're going to get exposed um, <laughs> as per yes okay <laughs> well i mean uh, Catherine and i are up against two uh, two champions two champions yeah, yeah. current reigning holder mm. me uh we have our mascots butler uh, for the year and crumble the Australian Open mascot and if you haven't seen these dogs go to our Instagram page because they are just worth the admission price there isn't any admission price but if there was it'd be worth it I think uh, I may have got crumble's gender wrong yesterday <laughs> well not to worry uh, sorry crumble uh, and uh, there's also Ian's Reddit page which uh, you can you can have a look at and chat all things tennis and all things tennis podcast and I I was I went on the Reddit page this morning just thought I'd have a look and yeah. um someone had started a thread saying that they were disappointed in me oh, yeah. because um, I, I hadn't a- a- acknowledged the fact when you and Simon were talking about it yesterday and weren't really sure 
what it what it is, <laughs> but it has a it has a very strong tennis connection. Oh yeah, in that it was uh, founded, set up by Serena's husband. Oh yeah. So it's it's kind of its roots are, are tennis related. Well, there you go. What more reason do you need? And, and I have a ten, I have a question for the Reddit community. Oh yeah. I, I want to know why Radu Albot is a big thing on Reddit. Because he is. He's like the player that they have kind of adopted and he does the ask me anythings and that kind of thing and they kind of follow his results and he's he's their guy on Reddit and I want to know what the source of that is. So people the people of Reddit <laughs> <laughs> on on the tennis podcast subreddit, I will be uh, I will be looking tomorrow. So can, please answer that for me. I, I can just imagine my mother's face listening to this <laughs> bit of the show. And what, what are they talking about? Anyway, let us know, Radu Albert fans on Reddit. Uh, what's all that about? Uh, we have been the tennis podcast, and we will be back every single day throughout the Australian Open, including tomorrow when we are going to go through the draws with a fine tooth comb, and we're going to make our predictions for this tournament. I'm ready. I'm ready too. Can't wait. See you tomorrow. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.